You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Hey, everybody, you're watching Wake Up Call Live again, and we are back. We are back to the Harry and Meghan story. Round two, Meghan, Meghan and Harry, yay or nay? And joining me today is Diana Schimmel. You've seen her on here a million times. She is one of the founders, right? Founders of Martine, Kat, Scanlon, and Schimmel. It's a law firm um, in New Jersey and Pennsylvania practicing family law. And a first timer on the show is Dana Richardson. Thank you so much for being here today, Dana. She is also a partner at Tibbet and Richardson. It's a, a law firm in Pennsylvania that does family law and criminal law. So thank you both ladies for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, you know, I did round two, round one of this, and I was only going to do one of this topic, but I had such an overwhelming response of people that wanted to participate that I just decided to do two. And coincidentally, I didn't plan it. The first one there weren't any, I shouldn't call them this, but I've been calling them Megan haters. But, you know, people that aren't really team Megan, I haven't been getting the, I didn't get them on the last one. And I kind of wanted somebody to offer like a different opinion. Um, well, so we'll, you'll get that from me today. Okay. I am, okay. am anti Megan. <laughs> well, and, you know, I really wanted to, I want to hear like what people think that are not the biggest fan of Megan because I really want to understand where that's coming from. And Dana, we'll, get, we'll find out. We'll find out which team you're on. Okay. But you guys saw the uh, Netflix documentary? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So, what did you think? Well, I, and I, I'll, I don't want to go off on a, you know, anti-Megan rant, but to me, the whole thing smacked of disingenuous hypocrisy. I think that they made a lot of comments when they were leaving the royal family, Megxit, as people have called it, um, that they wanted privacy, they wanted respect, they wanted, you know, to live their lives and be out of the public spotlight. But while they were t telling everybody that they were filming this documentary. So this was filmed contemporaneous with their preparation and their exit. And I think that it smacks a lot of, we want our privacy, but we don't. Please still look at us. Let us be the victim though. And we only want you to see us the way that we want to be seen. And at the end of the day, to me, I think the root of why I don't love Megan or see her as the victim that I think she wants us to see her as is she's an actress. And I felt like these interviews she was doing throughout the, the documentary were very calculated. She was, you know, planning her words and she was using a tone that I felt was disingenuous and she knew what she was doing. And I think that a lot of what she was saying was different slightly from what she said in either interviews in the past or what's been reported. And to me, it just furthered my 
dislike of the way that the whole situation has evolved. I'm not going to say my dislike of her personally. I'm sure she's perfectly lovely, but I've always been very pro-royal. You know, my name is Diana. I'm one of those 80s kids that were named after Princess Diana. So I've always been involved and interested. But I think that Meghan um, just didn't come across like I think she thought she would, which is this victim. And 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 to me, the, the documentary really furthered what I already thought. Okay. That sounds well thought out. What do you think, Dana? Well, I think I, I think a little, just a little bit differently about it. I think all of these shows are scripted to a point, uh, and they're produced, and so there are there's certain uh, elements that production want, wants to get across. You know, if you've ever worked on a reality show or know a lot about what goes on in the background of some of these productions, I do. You know, know people. You know, in the business, they're just they're produced. And then they're edited. <laughs> so, you know, people could say one thing and then they're edited for either sensationalism or stakes, you know, and they build that in. So they're they're just not as um, I look at them through a lens is they're just not, not as real as, you know, that we all hope that they, you know, are or think that they are with a lot of these different productions that are out there. Um, I like the point that, you know, and I hear a lot of people making this point um, that you made about the fact that they're talking about they want to be left alone and, you know, kind of be out of the spotlight. And, and to that point, I, I kind of would just like to add that I, I get it. I get what you're saying, but that's all they, they know how to do. So I think that there's a difference when we're talking about you know, that British tabloid where they're just, they prey on people and they're just very aggressive and over the top and stepping back from maybe some of the over the topness versus, you know, having it their way is, is just kind of like where, where I'm kind of viewing it from. And I think that maybe they wanted to get away from some of the, the just that radicalness of it. You know, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, dislike them I kind of just have my eye on them because I'm curious you know so my thing is I, I stay curious and I kind of like their vibe a bit um and I think there's a part of me that hopes that 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 part of them that that, that giving part you know that that spirit that giving spirit that they portray is actually you know that actually true because that's what matters to me most rather than their desire to be in the spotlight because that's the only way they can make money you know, he can't go to McDonald's. He can't, you know, he can't work, come work for one of us in our farms. Like there's just too much heat on them. Like what else can they do besides film or make appearances? That's the only way they're going to eat. That's a good yeah. point. That is yeah, a good that's point. True. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of interpreted the, what I've heard so far from, from them on the documentary and, you know, some of the interviews that came after, I don't know if you saw the one he did with Anderson Cooper, but it seemed to me that they weren't necessarily saying, and I could be wrong, maybe, maybe I'm just not remembering the parts that were are convenient to my cause, but I thought that they were really saying not so much that they didn't want to be at all in the spotlight. I think his real problem is that he feels they were fed to the wolves. Uh, they were fed to the wolves to protect Will and Kate because Will and Kate were 
sort of jealous. If anybody watches The Crown, you know, back in the Princess Charles and Prince Charles and Princess Diana days, you know, Charles was allegedly jealous of the good uh, media attention that Diana got because he wanted to be this the darling, the media darling. And from what I keep hearing consistently is that Will and Kate had their communications people actually feeding, link, uh, leaking sensitive information to the media so that they could write these terrible sensationalist stories about them. And Harry and Meghan are complaining that why aren't you protecting us? You're the family. You're supposed to be protecting us, not throwing us out there so that you know you guys can look better. I felt like that's what really what they were saying. Did you well, not get that? I didn't. And I think that part of my issue with it is that their story has changed. So mm. when they did the Oprah interview, it sounded a lot more like they wanted to protect themselves, not only their privacy, but their mental health. There were some other attacks. They didn't start overtly coming out and saying that Will and Kate were behind any of this until recently. And it's contemporaneous with the release of Harry's book, spare where he really goes in on his brother and i think it was tied into the timing of the release of the documentary megan's podcast harry's yeah. book they pr'd this to the high heavens and i think I that sure that did. really that there you go there you go wait for my copy yeah yep, i'm an audiobook person but i'm listening to it too so but so i think that was one of my bigger issues with it christina is that their story on everything changed. Even Megan's story on how she was introduced to Harry changed. And there were so many things in the documentary that I felt we could go back and either review commentary from her directly or them directly about and say, hey, this kind of doesn't match up. One of the things that really stuck out to me, and this was somewhat innocuous, but it was funny because it had to do with fashion, where she's making the comment about how she's not allowed to wear the same color as the queen or bright colors because she didn't want to stand out. And then there's all of these public appearances where Megan is wearing ridiculously bright clothing in over the top colors and very often wearing the same color as someone else in the royal family, often the queen. So that was where I felt like Megan lost me a little bit with some of the credibility there that she was trying to say something different now than she had said in the past. And I wonder if I could interject. Yeah. I, I did listen to that. You know, I, I watch all of this stuff, the crown, the everything. It just interests me so, so much. But I just, um, you know, when you're talking about stuff like that, I wonder, like, if we saw what happened to Diana and we know how much the royal family likes to play kind of like those practical jokes. Like, they seem to be like a bunch of like characters, but like almost in a hazing sort of way. How do we know that wasn't a part of some kind of, you know, hazing or, you know, something that they told her and she's like, well, I'm gonna do this anyway. We just don't know enough, you know what I mean? So I think for me is I always take some of that stuff with a grain of salt. I don't necessarily believe it because we saw what happened to um, Diana to some pretty extreme, you know, circumstances and where she was making cries for help. But in public, she kept her head up, her smile on her face. Meanwhile, she was becoming, you know, emaciated, you know, and suffering from depression and anorexia and everything else, um, all the while crying for help. So I wonder, you know, I do take some of this stuff seriously because I think they are that family, in my opinion, you know, they do have like a pretty 
kind of like a hazing thing that they do to people that come into it. So it definitely seems like that family really needs some strong family therapy and they need <laughs> to work on their communication skills because <laughs> they don't talk about anything, it seems. They're right. so they don't. they don't. I thought about that earlier today when I was thinking about, you know, coming on here. I was like, they really do have communication issues, like to like severe. And you remember the one part where Harry's like, it's not like, you know, my grandma sits us down and she's like, okay, right. So this is what it means to be, you know, in the Royal family. And I'm like, maybe they should do that. You know, she was like the queen for like 70 years. She has something to, to really offer. Maybe they should have all sat down and, and had a class on what it meant to be Royal and what was expected of them because a good deal of them just like spin out and do all kinds of yeah. Well, um, Harry's, Harry talks about this in his book that uh, I'm, I'm not very far into it yet. I don't know how far along you are, Diana, but he says that when his mother died, his father came into his room. It was really early in the morning and there wasn't much of a conversation about it. It was just, he calls him darling boy a lot and you know, darling boy, mom didn't make it. And that was kind of it. And there was really never another conversation about it. Yeah, there's also the anecdote that his father didn't give him a hug. I, I don't doubt that Harry has been through a lot of emotion or emotional turmoil as a result of the lifestyle he's lived. But what I don't quite understand once Megan got involved was how did she or how does she claim that she didn't know? That was one of her big claims as well, that she didn't know that any of this was going to be happening. She didn't Google him or understand the dynamic. And that I felt was another piece of disingenuous, you know, narrative on her part. And we've known notoriously, and this is partly what happened with Princess Diana, that the the firm doesn't comment on the public and the um, the media. And yes, of course, there's this whole undertone of they leak certain stories, they've got certain arrangements with certain publications and whatnot. But I feel like Harry is expecting something from them that he's known that they have never done, not even with his mother. And he wanted something different from the firm that I think wasn't gonna happen. And when he didn't get it, I think now we're seeing a completely different reaction where he's really vilifying them in a much more extreme way. And that's where, again, I think they're losing some credibility from me is they're not keeping it focused on themselves. They're now sort of lashing out and, and really aggressively lashing out. One of the anecdotes from the book, and I haven't gotten to the section yet, but I've been reading about it, is where he talks about William you know, physically fighting him. And we all should remember that for a very long period of time, pre-Megan, Harry was the wild child. There were stories in the media about Harry all the time with his temper and his drinking and his partying and doing what he needed to do, you know, to blow off steam. And no one's faulting him for that, but he's now trying to rehab this image and say he's the demure one and it's William who's, you know, the, the bad guy. And again, I don't quite see how that lines up with what we've already seen over the years. Well, I think one thing he said is that um, in one of the interviews he did recently on his media blitz for the book is, the, and the, again, the, this is the way that I interpreted it, is that William can, won't just, you know, have the fortitude to just say it publicly. And, you know, partly because he can't. He's just been trained from the time he was a, an embryo not to do that, right? That you just don't do that. Um, especially because he's going to be king one day. Um, but 
Harry is basically saying, you know what? I'm not going to address this stuff by leaking to the media. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it as an adult, as um, you know, person with integrity. And I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to, I'm going to say it in my book. I'm going to say it on these TV shows and I, you will have to face me at some point. I feel like that's the message that he's trying to send to his family. You know, whether that's actually going to do anything, I don't know. Um, they're not going to change. You know, Queen Elizabeth ruled for, you know, what, 70 years. I mean, she never changed, right? She perpetuated that. And she would continue to perpetuate that. That's how she taught the family to be. But I think... Um, you know, Harry would like to see things change with the times. I agree. And did you see the one part uh, of the series of the um, documentary? One gentleman was on there. I forget his role, but he said, if you're royal, you just keep quiet. You just, you zip it basically. And I thought, but why? You know, is it because of the, you know, when you're thinking about 70 years ago, Queen Elizabeth, she was a woman you know, in a time where women, you know, we, we aren't as we are today with that strength and that being vocal. Was that ingrained in her to just be quiet and demure and, you know, kind of stay in her place? You know, because like, where did that come from? I would think that at some point that would have begun to change. And maybe now's the time, you know, especially with Charles. He always, He didn't always play ball either when he was, you know, a teenager. I'm really surprised that he's the way he is now. I, I'm in, in part because I would, he wants, supposedly wants change and wants different, you know, uh, amendments to be made about, uh, you know, being in the royal family. So I just wonder why, you know, he would continue that um, legacy of just, you know, zipping it. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think he has a wonderful opportunity to just change, you know, grow with the times. I mean, right. there's always been speculation about the Brits getting rid of the monarchy because it's like, why do we need them anymore? Like, isn't this just kind of outdated? I think it's cool. <laughs> but it I, is I, mean, I think part of it though is we're looking at this as Americans. Yeah. So Americans live out loud. We express ourselves. We say what we think. Free speech is one of the foundations of our country. The British stiff upper lip is one of their foundations. So right. they approach things much differently than we do. And I think that's also the reason why Meghan is so polarizing is sure. because she's encouraged Harry to behave, some might say, more American. And they live in America now. They're living their lives out loud. And so maybe the monarchy progressed as much as it could under under Queen Elizabeth or, you know, it progressed to the point where it could be where it's at now. But again, that's where the British people or the British sensibility is willing to take it. And I agree with you, Christina, when you say he's he's pushing his family so hard to respond. And I just don't know if he's going to get the response that he wants. And I'm afraid they're going to be so overexposed that it's ultimately going to backfire and have the opposite effect. Because for me, I didn't feel how I'm feeling about the documentary when I saw the Oprah interview. I thought the Oprah interview was well-timed. I thought it was well-spoken. I thought that was much different than the tone of what we're seeing in the documentary. It was much less overexposure and it was more candid. I didn't sense that Megan was putting on that act
actor voice. I didn't sense that she was saying things to, you know, Harry to encourage him or coach him. And they were also a little bit in a different position timeline wise. And I think they had a different, you know, um, focus in that interview. And that interview talked a lot about the institutionalized racism, about, you know, the fact that she was an American divorcee, which we've seen in the monarchy as a theme before. So I felt like those focuses and those topics were a little more, I don't want to say believable, but maybe that's the word. They were a little bit more um, digestible for the public, especially, you know, seeing it at that time, as opposed to the documentary, which, as, you know, Dana said, it produced. It just seemed produced. Sure. And when you My, talk about timing, if I could just interject, yeah. I mean, I think they got to strike now because it's just all going to become old news. Mm-hmm. They got to get their coins now. You know what I mean? Um, good or bad, I think, because we'll just lose interest. You know, it's like one of those things where we better get this stuff out now while it's being sensationalized. Um, get our coins. <laughs> well, they signed a hundred million dollar deal with Netflix. Yes. Yeah. From what I saw. And I would guess that they have some creative control over the production. So I, oh, sure. I don't think that anything that they didn't want in that Netflix documentary was in there. Right. You know, I, I think agree. they approved of whatever was in there and, and the editing. Well, that's, um, but I think to the point about the editing piece, editing doesn't have to be a negative either. I no. think they were able to edit it to the version they wanted it to be. Like I said, there were inconsistencies with even the the um, the story about Meghan meeting Harry and the blind date and all of that. I think there were differences in her retelling of it in the um, documentary than we've heard from her in the past. So it was like their do-over to say exactly what they wanted to say in the perfectly packaged way because they did have the most creative control over the documentary. She does come across as I too perfect. I can't debate you there. Yeah, it is cleaned up. It's very I mean, cleaned up. Megan herself, though, like too perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, show us, show us a wart. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I wonder too how much of it is. Uh, the, somewhere it was said that Will referred to her as being really abrasive and rude which is kind of hard to believe from the way she's presented so far, but you know, she's American and sometimes just the way that we express ourselves is very different. And yeah. Or just expressing ourselves at all (laughs) about certain things. Absolutely. I think the smallest thing could be perceived, like you said about the stiff upper lip, the smallest thing could totally be taken as abrasive and rude. I think. Um, and I think yeah. at the end of the day, this is a family. I mean, the dynamic between brothers and sisters, between sisters-in-law, I mean, I'm going through it with my own family right now. I feel like everybody has some version of this. And the smallest thing that you think might mean nothing, like there was an anecdote about how Megan asked Kate to borrow her lip gloss. And some people were so up in arms about this. And Kate was angry about like, to me, I wouldn't care, but maybe somebody does. So I think that there probably were a bunch of small things that happened. And that's okay. Megan and Kate maybe aren't, you know, compatible. Maybe they aren't. But at the end of the day, they have to still get along as not only sisters-in-law, but also as royals. And I think that was something that to me was off-putting about Megan because, especially when you're joining a family who's in the public eye, you still have to get along to some respect. And I think she expected there to be much more of a reception to her than 
you know, than there was. And and for better or worse, you know, I, I feel for her on some level, but I think she wanted more of a reception and more of a center stage than she was getting. And that probably also informed some of her behavior as well. I wonder how much of it, though, is she just came into it. And I mean, I don't think any of us, especially as Americans, can really appreciate what it must have been like to have to live in that environment with all of the formalities. I mean, sure. we, we, I know, we know that they exist, but it's one thing to see it from the outside and just envision what it would be like. And it's another thing to actually go there, marry a prince and have to live it. And mm -hmm. she actually, Megan actually said somewhere that she thought that, you know, but behind closed doors, the formality, they kind of dispense with the formalities, but she said they don't, you know, you, it, if it's just you and the queen, you still have to curtsy. Yes, you do. You know? yeah. So it, I, I don't know. Like I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm team Megan because I, I, I think, you know, she's not perfect, but you know, a lot of people are saying, well, how did you not know what you were getting yourself into? I, I, I believe that. How could you know what you're really getting yourself into in that family? Well, well I I'm wondering, didn't Harry tell her anything? Like these people are going to be nasty to you. Like watch some of my mom's old stuff or didn't he even watch it? You know, like some of this just goes through my mind because I'm like, you know, on one hand, you know, he's like, I've blocked a lot of this out. So I don't, even know if he knows what's out there and what exists um, or how much he can remember because he was little. Um, but I just sit and wonder like, didn't he tell her like, they're really gonna give it to you. Like, you don't understand. This is not gonna be pretty. I don't know if expected that. He might not yeah. have known. I mean, he's a, he's a man. Yeah. So yeah. he might not have known all of what was going to happen, you know, with her as a woman, as an American, as, you know, a multiracial person, as a divorcee. Right. We don't know. Um, and, and, and I don't discount that living in a pressured world like that, where they manage even, you know, down to what color pantyhose and nail polish you can wear is going to be difficult. But where, again, I lose some of my sympathy for Megan is when she plays so doe eyed about it, like she had no yes. clue at all like she had to know there was some protocol and, yeah. and again i agree with you christina maybe she didn't know the full extent but to like say she was living under a rock and had no idea who harry was and no idea what the royal family did i just don't believe that i could see what happened is that she says somewhere i'm a hugger i'm a hugger too so i can get that but you know the brits they're not huggers neither Right? Oh, you're not a hugger. Well, no, we I'm, mean, a hugger. Hugger, Jane. I'm just gonna warn you. I'm gonna hug okay. You. It's all right. I'll take it though. I won't I won't haze you or be cruel. No, <laughs> well, that's the American versus the British stuff. I completely yeah. understand. I yeah. could see Megan's experience being like, Oh, this is my family. Come give me a big hug. And then she walks into the room and they're all just like <laughs> and she's what like, "Who the hell is this?" Right. I could see her getting iced out. Yeah, you know, like because when you're a warm, inviting, like open person like that, and you're around people that are really closed off and tight, that's not a comfortable place that, to be for you. They were no, probably no. like, "Look at her; she's really rabid, like she's feral." Like, look at her; this is awful. And all she wanted to do was hug and be a part of the family. It's yeah, so I could see her being really uncomfortable in that kind of environment and then getting to a point where she's like, okay, this is just how they are. But you know, then does it warrant, 
But does it warrant the reaction? Does it warrant taking him completely from his family? I guess that's where I don't quite understand. I mean, some of the stuff should be tolerable from the perspective of the fame and the notoriety that she clearly wanted, the, you know, the husband and the family that she wanted. Some of it is stuff that you need to be able to put aside. Again, some of the things that they maybe mentioned more so in you know, the Oprah interview then in the documentary, even though there was the scene in the documentary where they're being quote unquote chased by the paparazzi and they're so alerted and scared about it, which again, I thought was very highly produced. But I think um, what, what did she really expect and did it warrant the reaction or the scorched earth, I guess, um, action of completely leaving and having him sort of sever ties with his family completely. And that's where I, I don't see the connection. Well, um, I do want to respond to something you said, because I hear this a lot, is that she, gonna say him, it. Oh, she took him away from his family. He yes. is a grown-ass man. A grown-ass man. Okay? A grown-ass man. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't I don't doubt I don't doubt it. It's a polarizing comment and men have their own minds. They can do whatever they want, but he was committed to his marriage and he chose his marriage over his family. And whether that's her influence or not, it's completely him or not. My point being that he she made issue over things that I don't necessarily warrant him completely leaving the family. Now, if there are bigger issues, sure. But her saying, oh, I wanted to give somebody a hug and they wouldn't hug me. Harry, we got to move to California now. It's a little different. I'm, I think that, I mean, I'm not saying that that's what happened. I think it's much more complicated than that. Oh, I think yeah. that's just There's racial stuff going on there too. I yeah, I want to hear your reaction to that, Dana, because I kind of cut you off. Like, oh, it's okay. I just, you said exactly what I was going to say. I don't think she has that much power over him. I think he wanted, I think for him, he found a family. He had a family of his own. If you look at the relationships that he had within the royal family, in my opinion, Maybe life was better, you know, with his wife where he was building peace and freedom versus being there and being in the firm. Um, you know, that's just he my explained it in a way that I thought was really succinct. He said, everybody thinks that, you know, because he addressed this in the documentary, I think he said, you know, everybody blames Megan like, you know, she made me move away from my family. She did it. I did this. He says it. I mm -hmm. did this. This was my decision. He even says it was my idea. I know a lot of people don't believe that, but he says that. And he points out that, you know, when, when life, he, what is he like 30? I don't, he's somewhere he's around 30. that age. He's exactly oh. my age. Oh God. Our, our birthdays are only a couple of weeks apart. Oh wow. Okay. So he says, you know, when you go through your whole life being a certain way, and then you change because your life changes. And now I have this woman that I'm married to and we're making a family together and I'm being different. It's easy for people to say, oh, what happened? It must be her. She did this to him. And he's like, but she didn't. I right. changed. I, my family comes first now. Right. Look at I that. Believe that. I totally believe that. And I think, you know, when, um, maybe he had these underlying feelings, but didn't have the catalyst to do it. And it just coincidentally was his building of his own family with Megan. And especially when you become a parent, you really don't 
know or feel or um, act in certain ways until you are that protective parent for your children. And that might have also been for him the, the you know, that impetus because he wanted to protect his children from what he was seeing happen to him. So I, we have to, you know, acknowledge that too. Right. Yeah. And look at um, Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson. Edward abdicated the throne to mm -hmm. be, you know, with his love. And it was worth it to him. You know, why do we all think it's terrible for somebody to leave, you know, a situation that could be harmful to their to their mental health or, you know, or them in other ways personally? You yeah. know, what I mean? as we learn, you know, you know, the people that got you to one place in your life may not be there for the rest of the ride. And it shouldn't be any different for Harry just because he's a royal. Yeah. You know what I mean? He should be able to leave and find freedom and peace. Well, you know, I, that's my, I think that's my coming back to the original comment is I think that's wonderful. If he wants to be able to leave and find freedom and peace, then leave and don't keep coming back with all of this media exposure. That's where my issue lies. They need to make money and they need to, you know, do what they yeah. can to support themselves. Yeah. But I don't think they need to do it at the level that they're at. I think they feel like, or at least Harry, you know, I think he, because again, this is Prince Harry's book. It's not the Meghan and Harry book. It's not Meghan's book. It, this is Harry's book. It's Harry's right, story. Right. And I think he feels like he need, he wants to take control of the narrative because he feels like he didn't have control over that. You know, Will and Kate mm -hmm. allegedly, their team were leaking stories that weren't even true. That's what he says. And I think this is partly his way to take control of that narrative. I hope we're not hearing about it for the next 20 years. I mean, I hope they're gonna move on to some other material, you know, that's not related to that. I think that the whole royal family just missed out on an opportunity. I think all of them together, you know, maybe exploring change could have been a stronger force and gone a lot further than this, you know. Mm -hmm. I hope they can heal, you know what I mean, if it's worth it to them. Because yeah. we don't know all of what's gone on or anything. But if it's just these, you know, things that we're hearing about, and that's kind of like it, you know, from all sides, not just Megan, I'm thinking about all sides, maybe they can heal. Because I mean, for goodness sakes, look at his daggone father. He's up there with his mistress as the queen consort. Now that just burns my butter. I know. Me too. I am so anti Camilla. You think I'm anti Megan? I am anti Camilla. I'm over Charles. I'm like, come on, Charles. I you should have even did that. You, that really, you make a really good point about that they missed an opportunity because Charles, because Princess, or excuse me, Queen Elizabeth was on the throne for so long. Charles is up there in age as well. So we're not going to see him and that older generation there as long as we saw Queen Elizabeth. The next right. generation is Will and Harry. And they really could have been this strong force together. So I do, I agree with you. I hope that they reconcile in some way and that this is the worst of it and they get back on track. But they could have really changed the face of the monarchy once Charles was gone and really made it a different, more modern thing, Absolutely. more modern institution. Well, not yeah. to be really morbid, but what happens if Will dies? Because I know it's he has a son. Yeah. So Harry's not Harry's not in next in line after after um, Will. It's Will and then his children. Right. But what if what do you guys know what happens if if Will dies when George is still a child? George. Well, George would still be the king. So you're saying if Charles dies and then Will dies? Yes. George. 
And then yeah, they- that's what I meant. Like if it happens right away. I mean, how can like, I don't know how old he is, but he's a little kid. Like, yeah. How does that happen? Yeah, that's who it would be. It's not Harry. Even as a little kid? Like there could be seven-year-old King? Yeah, I think yeah. he would have- Meeting with the prime minister to talk about <laughs> war? I mean, they're, in my understanding of history, when they're not of age, they have someone stand in, like the mother or, or mm-hmm. someone else that sort of steps in their place, a high advisor, until they are of age. But it's yeah. not Harry. He would certainly not be the one coming in. Yeah, think well, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones. Yeah, I've seen that. I gotta watch that. I'm really behind. You know, oh, once yeah. I start watching that, then I'll start roundtables to talk about that. Ooh, get me Everybody. in, code. Okay. Oh, Everyone will be like, where have you been? Where have you been? I haven't watched any of it. Oh. I just have to bring this up because I was thinking about it as we were talking. Um, I think that J-Lo and Ben Affleck could learn something from all of this. Because what I heard about them is they claim that the reason they broke up like the first time way back is because they didn't want to deal with, I find this hard to believe, um, they didn't want to deal with all the incredible, you know, press and just perhaps following them and intruding on their privacy. They didn't want to deal with all of that. So they broke up. I call bullshit. I think that's absurd. I agree. It I agree. Absurd. I thought it was his alcohol problem. And it's oh, did he have one back then? I don't know. Was I mean, I thought it was. Yeah, he was partying yeah. and cheating. I thought that's what it was. Oh, I I don't know. But this is what they say now. I guess, you know, we'd like to rewrite history. Keep when it's it real. And I agree with you. Keep it real or don't say anything, maybe. You know what I mean? Don't yeah. just come back now and be like, oh, you know, we didn't want the paparazzi. And to that end, here's where I agree with our, our Megan disliker um, and about the, you know, fakeness. The one part of this documentary that really got on my nerves is when they were in the cars and they were like, is that a pap? Is that another pap? Are they following? I was like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. We get that the proper, but I can't imagine that stars really sit in their cars or, you know, you know, they're in their, uh, the car service. Like, is that a pap? Are they following? Where are they? I mean, security's taking care of it. I think they probably to sit and go for the ride. They know they're being followed. And that you know, to me was a completely staged scene. That was so yeah. staged. It yeah. was so staged. You, you did the exact reaction. That wasn't even exaggeration. They were like whipping their heads around, you know, <laughs> so panicked. And they were like, I forgot, I thought they were doing some innocuous errands. Like they weren't even going anywhere that important. And they have so much, they have so much security and protection. And yeah, they, they acted like they were reenacting the scene with Diana being chased by the paps. And I thought that yes. that was so melodramatic. So, yes. So that melodramatic. Was, yeah. That was the one part I could say that I didn't really care for. I was like, we get it. Are you trying to do this so that we understand about the paparazzi? But we all understand about the paparazzi, right. you know, how they can be. But this is the middle of broad daylight. There was like no other cars on the street. They're like ducking down. I'm like, I feel like I have to watch it again now. I feel like you're going to poker. Like, what are you? What's going on here? Why are you doing this? Like, yeah. Well, you know what? We don't know Harry, right? Maybe he's a little bit of a drama queen. Maybe we don't. (laughs) Or drama prince. (laughs) Might be. Um, Well, it's interesting when celebrities start complaining about being celebrities. Mm -hmm. I just want to be like, come on, stop it. You You know, for it. You signed up for it. 
Yeah, there seems, and they like it. Because I want to see that, like, the paps completely go away. Nobody care about them and watch them have a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Um, but I think it's um, interesting how there seems to be a trend of all these documentaries coming out about celebrities. Like, Gaga did one, Selena Gomez, J-Lo. Paris Hilton. Billie Eilish. Like, everybody. Everybody's doing one. And it seems to me it's like a short-term commitment to a reality show. Mm-hmm. Like you can do it instead of a reality show. And it seems to me all they do is use it as a platform to respond to any kind of negative press or criticism that they've ever gotten. Yeah. And my first reaction is always, why are you responding to this? Like, why do you care? Are, are you cashing checks? Just go cash your checks, right? Like, don't you, you kind of need at when you're in the public eye doing anything like an actress, an actor, or sometimes an athlete, you know, what, whatever Prince Harry is embarking on now, you do need to be in the public eye to kind of keep that going. The Kardashians, I mean, that's why they have that show. I mean, they even said it, that that's why they moved from E to Hulu is because that that's like the main hub of all their advertising, like everything kind of springs from that. And I think what celebrities don't get maybe because they're on, they're on the inside of the fishbowl looking out and they don't quite get it is when you get that much attention, you're going to have people that love you and praise you. And you're going to have people that don't like you and criticize you. You need to get over it. You can't have one without the other. That's right. And I'm tired tired of seeing these responses to, you know, whatever, like Selena Gomez, I guess. I wasn't even aware that she had had a lot of ne- negative press, but apparently she was using it as an opportunity to respond to some of that. And to me, it's just like a really little violin. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I think like you hit the nail on the head that it's, they don't want to do reality TV because then they can't control it. But with these documentaries, they can and they can make it their own. And that's what Meghan and Harry did, too. They made it exactly their own um, and they could formulate whatever narrative they wanted it to be. But I agree with you. The real big stars, the A-list stars like Nicole Kidman and George Clooney, they just live their lives. They don't oh, respond yeah. to any of this oh, stuff. Yeah. You're not going to see Beyonce or Oprah coming out and have any type of response. Oh, they don't Beyonce. Yeah. Speaking of Beyonce, Ooh. that was another thing that bothered me about Megan. She's like casually, oh, Beyonce just texted me. Like as if it was like run of the mill. That was so disingenuous to me. I felt like, what are you doing? Like it was very, very name droppy, very cringy. Yeah. That was another one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's still surrounded by so much incredible privilege. Yeah. She was before, but even more so now. So right. she's still famous, was before and is now. Yeah. All okay. right. I feel like we have to end this before I become a Megan hater. No. We don't hate her. No, I mean no one's her. perfect, right? Like that's that's something else I had said the in the first round table is we can't expect these these people, the whole royal family to not be human beings. They're human yes. beings, you they know, are. they have yeah. crazy rules and It seems to me a very unrealistic expectation about how they're supposed to live their lives, but they're human beings at the end of the day. Yeah. I think underneath it all, they're all, they're, they're probably very good uh, people. 
And I do really hope that the there as a family can heal. I, I really do. Yeah. 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 Great things. There could be great things. Absolutely. And I think that when this all dies down, I, I do really hope, uh, and I'm interested to see what Harry and Meghan do and, um, you know, con continue their philanthropic efforts in, in a Princess Diana sort of way. Yes. Absolutely. I hope so too. That was one of their main th things that they said they wanted to accomplish. So I hope that after this happens and they have what they feel like they need to have in their bank account and behind them, that they'll switch back to philanthropy. Absolutely. Get back to Botswana. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation. It was nice to have um, a little bit of a different perspective from the last round table. And I will keep you in mind for the next one. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us. Thank you for having me. And thank fun. you for watching Wake Up Call Live or listening to it. We'll uh, be posting this on the podcast for anybody who wants to listen. Have a great week, everybody. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call, the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.